invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. And if you paid attention at all and hopefully sang along with those songs, you had a, an outstanding uh, primer, priming your pump for exactly what we're going to talk about today, which is the what and why of worshiping together. Pastor Josh Howerton recently uh, over at the Gospel Coalition had a really interesting article, and he was debunking some of the common lies and misconceptions about Christians, about churches, and about the value of regular church attendance. He was drawing on research from a variety of places, some secular, some not, like the Washington Post, like the Pew Research Center, Christianity Today. In his article, he underscored that generally church attendance for worship does form us in a very positive way for kingdom living. For example, a few take-homes from the article. Now, he recognizes there are exceptions. There are folks that attend church all the time who don't seem to be formed by what is going on. But from the research, some general um, take-homes I thought were very interesting. Such as, the more one attends church, the less likely one is to commit a major crime. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Children who grow up in church-going homes are less likely, according to the studies, to be affected by depression, less likely to use drugs, have sex outside of marriage. And you hear all of the exceptions to the rule, but the research says that that is the case for children growing up in church-going homes. One study suggested church attendance regularly can actually add up to seven years to your life. Sign me up. All right. Church attenders are more likely to adopt children, more likely to have volunteered recently, more likely to give to the poor, and are more likely to report relational satisfaction in their marriage. So we hear a lot of things that seem to go contrary to that. But research says that really church attendance for worship does positive things in terms of shaping us, forming us for the kingdom. Meeting with God, meeting with God among his people is powerful and it shapes you for the good. Today we're wrapping up our study that's been quite a long study on worship. And today we're thinking about the corporate worship, the coming together of God's people in the local assembly to praise the Lord Jesus and to meet with God. While today's study does incorporate this important aspect of the social dimension of our lives, it's not a full treatment on that. It's not going to touch on everything as far as the way we relate to people. But the Bible sums it up pretty simply. We should start here and say that the Bible says the way that Christians, the people of God, are to relate to people is to give them the same love that we have received. To receive the love of Christ and let it change us and flow out of us. Let the Spirit of Christ mark our lives and our interactions with others. Quite simply, the Bible says love other people. Love one another. And in that, that big, all-encompassing command of Christ to love others, really that is what we are to do in our relations with other people. 
It's the summation of the entire law of God. Love others. It is the distinctive mark of the Spirit of God among us. Is loving one another. So we love. And corporate worship of the church is one very specific way that we both love God and love other people. So we're thinking about the what and the why of Christian worship. By the way, I called it a little audible again after Sheila printed the bulletin. So take your bulletin and uh, you can mark that thing up and uh, you can change the cover. It's the what and why of Christian worship. And I shifted back to Hebrews chapter 10. Sorry, Sheila. Sorry, the rest of you. Corporate worship, the what and the why. You know, gatherings of Christians Sunday to Sunday, it radically is different from one church to another, from one time to another, from one cultural context to another. I mean, things do change. And so much of what we get hung up in related to corporate worship, I think, is matters of form. We get hung up on matters of style and preference. Today, I want us to really try to think, are there timeless, essential truths? Are there those purposes of worship that never change? They're not subject to the fads and the whims and the culture. What are those things? So I want us to think in the, about the big picture and then go below the surface and think about some of the what's and the why's of corporate worship. Let's read Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, and that'll be our guiding text today. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We launched into this series looking at the book of Ezra and how the people were coming out of exile to rebuild the temple, and they started at the place of the altar. We began at the altar of the Old Testament people, the Jews. And we veered off saying, you know, God... The worship that he requires is not just mere form, but it is from the heart. And so I took a little uh, swing around. We rounded the bases thinking about worship. It truly does come from a renewed heart or spirit that's born again by the Spirit of God. A renewed mind. Also a renewal of soul that is, at least in part, encompassing our emotions. And that worship is something that we do bodily and now we're thinking about the social context. There is probably no better place than the letter to the Hebrews to guide our thinking, wrapping up our study on the what and why of corporate worship, how it differs and how it's similar to what would happen at that Old Testament altar with the Jewish people. Hebrews was written to Christian Jews, right? They would have grown up, most of them, many of them, going to the temple 
and experiencing the things that we read about in the Old Testament, the veils and the uh, sacrifice of lambs and goats, the sprinkling with the blood, the uh, Aaronic priests, Levitical priests, they would have experienced all of that, but they came to Christ. And it's clear from the New Testament, this passage included that the Old Testament rituals at the temple were now obsolete, not necessary as part of worship in light of the coming of Christ. Jesus Christ, who is the sacrificial lamb of God, the one who came from heaven to take away the sins of the world, not blood of sheep and goats, but the blood of Christ. And he was buried and he was raised from the dead. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now he makes intercession. Not a priest in the line of Aaron, but instead Jesus Christ, who is the only one who stands between us and the Father. And so these realities that are the truths found in Jesus are the fulfillment of everything that was meant to be seen or experienced in a shadow-type form in the Old Testament. Hebrews 10.9 says of Jesus, he takes away the first in order to establish the second. So with the coming of Christ, the temple worship as it was experienced by the Old Testament Jews all the way up to the coming of Christ is now obsolete. The fulfillment of it has come. But listen, The finished work of Christ does not make obsolete and useless the coming together for corporate worship of God's people. And I think that the people that are receiving this letter, the letter to the Hebrews, were struggling at that point. Having grown up going to the temple and having this uh, really interesting and and, and bloody and visual and, and engaging all of the sense type of worship, they experienced that. And now... They come to Christ, and the primary ritual or ceremony is a meal. It's the Lord's table. And I think they're struggling with worship. What do we do in worship? And quite honestly, maybe they found Christian worship a little bit boring. Maybe it was just seemed a little too non-tangible. I think they're struggling with that. But here's the thing that the author of Hebrews, which is ultimately the Holy Spirit, wants us to see. Now Christian worship is not the dress rehearsal. It is the real deal. Everything that was happening before the coming of Christ was just a dress rehearsal. Now we as Christians engage in the true worship that God desires. So I want us to walk through now and see some of the what and why of Christian corporate Worship, But first, you need to see this, that we should worship corporately. That we should worship corporately together as the embodied, enfleshed people of Christ. Where is that found? Well, look, look at what it says. Therefore, brethren, since we let us, all of this, in fact, Hebrews 10 through 13 for sure, is envisioning the gathered corporate people of Christ. Just like in the Old Testament, it was the kingdom of Israel. All of them were called to come to the temple. 
the temple sacrifices and all of that, it wasn't just one worshiper. It was the gathered corporate people of God. When they came to the temple, they saw themselves, we are a nation, we are a kingdom, we are the people of God. And that is exactly how we're to see it. That is exactly the thing that we rehearse when we come together on Sundays, is envisioning that we are the people of the kingdom. Hey, let me tell you a secret, it's not not just going to be you and the Trinity and the angels in heaven. Right now, in This world, the only Christian is not you and your favorite teacher or author or podcaster. There is a kingdom, an entire kingdom of Christ. Even those who have gone before and departed, there is a kingdom. When we worship together, it helps us to remember and to envision that we are a part of this amazing, grand salvation story that actually spans all the way back to the book of Genesis. And it goes all the way to the book of Revelation, and it encompasses a whole lot of people. We are part of this amazing story. I wonder what story you see yourself embedded in. Is it the American story? The story of freedom? The story of opportunity, the story of riches. What, what, to what story do you belong? Maybe it's your, your family of origin. Maybe you see yourself belonging to that story. Or the story of the people of Valley Springs or wherever you're from. I'll tell you, folks, if you belong to Christ, the story that is your story is the story of the kingdom, the eternal kingdom. And I think that God calls us to come together to worship, to remember that we're not in this thing alone, that we are part of an amazing thing. Unless you think that I'm stretching it from just uh, uh, a few pronouns and things like that, let us and all of that, the very last verse that we read, verse 25, makes it explicitly clear, and do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because in the assembling of yourselves together is where all of the things listed in verses 19 through 24 are supposed to happen. That's where it's supposed to happen. And so do not make a habit of missing the assembling of God's people. That is specifically what he says. Do not get in the habit that some have gotten into the habit of, which is forsaking the bodily getting together of the people of God. Come to church. Get together. Do not replace the Flesh and blood assembling of yourselves, folks, for online viewing. Don't trade those. They're not the same. There's nothing wrong with with, uh, uh, watching an online service from time to time or as circumstances require. But that is not a replacement in any way from the embodied getting together of the people of God. Do not replace the assembling of yourselves for worship in the deer stand. Even if you take someone with you in a buddy stand, that's not the assembling that is in view. Now, can you worship God from the deer stand? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. All of life for the Christian is worship, but that's not corporate worship. Those deer aren't going to heaven with you, though you're trying to send one there while you're in the stand. All right? So, so, so I think that we need to just stop and say, you are hurting yourself 
when you forsake the assembling together with the people of God and you are shortchanging your brethren because you play a very crucial role. So it says that that we should worship together. Now, we've established that we should worship together corporately. Why? And what are we supposed to do? The why and what of worship. Number one, corporate worship is a workout for flexing our faith. Corporate worship is a workout where we flex our faith. It invites us, and I find that in verses 19 through 21. It, all through those verses, and even into verse 22, it's talking about coming by faith, exercising our faith in Christ. By faith, we are seeing Christ. By faith, we have this assurance We're confident to enter in by faith. It is an opportunity when we come together in this brief hour to exercise a muscle that is probably at risk of being atrophied all through the week. Though the Bible says that we are justified or made right by faith. That's how we're saved. We are saved by faith. Not by our works. We're saved by faith. But listen, it doesn't just start there. All of the Christian life is a walk of faith. And this gathering together is one of the most intense workouts that our muscles of faith will get. And it is so important. Is it the only workout? No. We're supposed to be living by faith, but it is a chance to flex our faith and not let that all-important spiritual muscle degenerate. When we worship together, we hear His promises anew. We hear from the Lord when we gather together. When we gather together and we shut those doors, it helps shut out the alluring and deafening siren songs of the world that promise things that will not last. Those beckoning calls that draw us into the world and away from Christ, they are alluring. When we come into this place, we hear a different song and a different call. It calls us back to believe in what is true and unshakable from the verses that John read as we started this morning. We have an unshakable kingdom. But listen, there's a day of judgment coming when everything in the world that is not in line with the kingdom of God, everything that does not belong in the boundaries of the kingdom of Christ will be shaken, it will dissolve, it will disappear. And if you've built your life on that, you will experience loss. But if you have built your life on a firm foundation of faith in Jesus Christ and the kingdom, and you've lived your life, and you've invested your time and your money and your heart and your resources in the kingdom of Christ, you know what you're doing. You're building up your eternal retirement. That's what the Bible teaches. And we come together in this place and to remember, oh yeah, this is what's important. By faith, we experience those things. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of the things we don't yet see, the things we can't see in the world, but we can see them with the eyes of faith. All right? Corporate worship gives us the opportunity to believe. Hey, listen, worship is not supposed to be a passive thing. It is not passive. Just because you don't stand up here doesn't mean you're passive. And all of those songs that we sang, in calling out prayer requests, and praying and coming before the Lord of glory, you know what you're supposed to be doing? Flexing your faith. Seeing the unshakable, invisible, eternal 
kingdom and entering in. So that's the first what and why of corporate worship. It's an invitation to faith, to believe certain things again. Secondly, the second what and why of worship is, and this is important, corporate worship is an invitation to draw near to God, verse 22. Man, you should put a big circle and star around verse 22 if you're one of these that write in your Bible. Just like the Old Testament worshipers, they were invited to come to the altar, to come into the temple, but listen, they came and they had their sins covered over by the blood that was sacrificed from the lamb, but there were some barriers There was a priest that stood between them and God. They couldn't come directly. There was a veil between that altar and the Holy of Holies, the seat of atonement. There was a little bit of distance. But they still, they drew as near as they could. And it was a powerful experience. Hey folks, we don't stop in front of a Levitical priest. We're not stopped. We're invited near. To God. We're not stopped by a veil or a curtain that has been torn into that by the, by the flesh of Jesus, by his death. We are now able to enter into the very presence of God and be cleansed. Not by the blood of sheep and goats, but by the blood of the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world, Jesus Christ. So we're invited to draw near. Now all of this I know is very symbolic language. And again, some of it we just have to accept and understand and see with the eyes of faith. But what is supposed to happen as we draw near to God? That's the question. Why would we need to draw near to God? Well, here's the first thing that I see in this passage. We need a fresh encounter with the gospel of grace. We need a fresh encounter with the gospel of grace. He says here, have your hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. I'm going to take a guess and say, some of you have sinned this week. I have. I have. And I'll tell you what, you have an internal voice called your conscience That condemns you. You have an enemy that condemns you because of your sin. Hey, listen, we live in a judgmental world. People talk about Christians being judgmental. Christians don't hold a candle to a bunch of the folk in our world that are condemners. And we mess up and we feel condemned and we slink back in shame. And I'll tell you what we need to have happen. When we come together and worship, we need to have a fresh encounter with the grace of a good God who forgives all sins by the blood of Jesus. One of the things that liturgical type forms of church do is they always have this uh, promise of pardon. Now, it can become very empty and very rote. But I'll tell you, that is actually something that should happen every time we get together. That we are reassured that when we come to Jesus and confess our sins, hey, He has provided the way for forgiveness. He wants to forgive and cleanse us and sprinkle our hearts and let us know, hey, that sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus. We need to hear things like, I will remember no more. I will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you are one of those When I said you probably sinned this week and you nodded your head, how are you feeling about that? 
I'll tell you, probably you're feeling condemned by your own conscience. But the gospel would say to you today, confess that, move on, you're forgiven. Jesus has paid the price and the penalty for your sin. I need to move, move pretty quickly through this, but listen. He says, and have your bodies washed with pure water. Maybe that's a picture of baptism for someone who's a new believer. I don't think so given the context of this, though. I think that's an appropriate application is to say, when you first exercise faith in Jesus Christ and come to be saved, you are called by faith to be baptized, which is a beautiful picture of being dead to the old and raised eternally because you're joined with Christ. I think what's in view here, this body's washed with pure water, is likely to say, man, when we come and we have our hearts assured by the pardon and forgiveness that's in Jesus, it gives us the desire and the boldness to say, yes. And we feel a freedom and the spirit bubbles up in us and it's a call again to forsake that way and to pursue anew the holy living that God desires for us, that brings life. I think that's what it's to say. It's when we come and we have this fresh encounter of grace, it changes our direction. It changes our desires and our want-tos. It helps us put us in line or be brought back into line with the desires that God has for us in terms of our living. Today, let me ask you this. We're not done, but here's a little bit of an invitation. Is some sin pricking your conscience? Maybe you're not sleeping over it. Maybe you've come to this place today and you showed up late so you didn't have to talk to anybody because you're feeling that. Maybe you just flat out know that you have done wrong. And there's a sense of condemnation. I'm going to tell you what to do. Lay it down right now at the feet of Jesus. And by faith, trust that his blood cleanses every sin. And that if you'll confess it, he'll wash you anew and set you on the right path. And worship. Now listen. It's not just words that you go, Pow. you receive them, you hear them, what? By faith. And you have to act on it. This is not a passive thing. All right, third thing, the why and what of corporate worship. Let me tell you this. Corporate worship is a conduit of God's grace to help us hold on to the hope that we have confessed in God's promises. That's a mouthful. Corporate worship is a conduit of God's grace to help us hold on to the hope of our confession in God's promises. Our faith has not been yet made sight. Our salvation, folks, while it is totally sure, it is not yet complete. Nobody walked in here in a resurrection body. There are still things to come. We still have struggles. We still feel the weight and the pains of sin and the curse of sin. We have wounds. We have fears. But I'm going to tell you something. We have these great and precious promises. We have an amazing set of promises. We have the promise, hey, listen, of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That death does not and will not have the victory over you. The grave does not have the final say over anybody who belongs to Jesus. How do I know that? Because Jesus walked out, out of his grave. 
And he says, the same will be for you if you belong to me. You have eternal life. You're still, though, in a body that is racked by pain and disease and problems. We're not yet made perfect. We still struggle against the enemy of our souls. We still live in a world that honestly hates everything that belongs to God. And so we face all kinds of struggles. But when we come to church and we engage in worship, one of the things that should happen is we should be reminded of our ultimate hope, which is the resurrection. That is our ultimate hope, folks. That is the promise that belongs to every one of you if you belong to Jesus. The grave, our enemy, death, does not have the final say. So we need to come to church and we need to be reminded. Do we need to be reminded about the good of feeding the poor? Yes, that's kingdom living. Do we need to be reminded to love our spouse? Yes, Do we need to be reminded about how we spend our money? Yes. But I'll tell you, we need to remember the number one thing that we have hope in, and that is the resurrection and eternal life. So coming together is a conduit of that. Now listen, if we're going to get really practical, we have to say these are things we need to make sure that we incorporate in some way in our scripture reading and the things that are said and the songs that are selected, we need to call people's attention to the hope of the resurrection at the coming of Christ. All right, let's move on to the last one. The last why and what of corporate worship. Corporate worship is actually a platform for influencers and encouragers. It's a platform for influencers and encouragers. Verses 24 and five. Several times this week I've come across, heard people talking about becoming social media influencers. And uh, while I have no doubt that social media is a very powerful platform, it is a way that people are influenced, hey folks, for good or for bad. For the right things or the wrong things. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, how many of y'all are not on social media? Man, there's a just a faithful few of us, okay. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Social media is a, a powerful way of influencing people, but it pales in comparison to the local church. We are to come together, and I said worship is not passive. There's an element of us just receiving and envisioning the kingdom by faith, but you have a job to do when you come for corporate worship. When you come here, you have influence. You have a platform that you are meant to exercise God's grace to others. You are God's servant. As a worshiper, you're called to serve him by serving other people. So it says, hey, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, but instead come together and encourage one another. Stir one another up. For love and good deeds. Man, we get so beat down by life in the world. We don't need to be beat down when we come here. Unless it's my sermon. I can beat you down a little bit, right? No, 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 no. Anything that is harsh that comes should be meant, number one, in a spirit of love. 
and hope and seeing the best. But when we come together, you know what we need to do? We need to stir one another up for life in the kingdom. People need to know that you love them and that they're loved. There may be people that come to church and they are just altogether confused about something in their life. And maybe they just need a word. Maybe, you know, they've prayed, Lord, would you help help me see that the path that I'm on, I'm making the right decision. Or, or Lord, would you help me to, to have confirmation about something going on in my life? And it's amazing. They come to church and they're intersected out in the foyer or in Sunday school by somebody who just says, hey, man, or hey, lady, let me encourage you. Number one, you're loved. And I just feel like maybe the Lord would have me to tell you today such and such. I tell you, that's amazing stuff, how God will use your words and your kindness towards others in someone else's spiritual walk. You're called to serve God and serve others. You're not going to do it from the deer stand in the same powerful way that you can do when you come to this place. Flesh and blood. There's nothing more powerful than that. I'll tell you what. One of the reasons I believe that there is so much anxiety and depression in our world today, among all ages, but we're seeing it very, um, just, just blowing up among students, and especially during the pandemic, I'll tell you one of the reasons I, I truly believe this is happening is because we are made as social creatures to experience and to talk with and to look people in the eye and to touch. We're made for that. It is powerful. And more and more in our world, we're letting a cheap substitute for communication and socialization replace flesh and blood gatherings. And it has profound impacts, far beyond anything that I can share with you this morning, far beyond, I think, what we even understand. God in his infinite wisdom has ordained that the people of the kingdom would come together and flesh to flesh, face to face, arm in arm, stir one another up and help one another make it to the finish line. And when we decide we're not going to be a part of that, I will say again, we hurt ourselves because this is part of God's plan for our help to receive grace, to stir us up in the faith, to be reminded of the hope that we have, and to love one another. Worship, you know what it is. It's, it's the four big things. It's faith, it's grace, it's hope, and it's love. Those are the purposes. That is what we gather for, to have those things built up. It's why we worship, because we need to be built up in those areas. So, let's just... Recap. When we come together, we're rehearsing the kingdom of God. We are gathered in this small gathering to worship the Lord of glory together. And in some small way, we're understanding what a glorious part of heaven is going to be like. And we come together to exercise our faith, to be built up in our faith, to spur others on in their faith and in hope. And we're stirring up love and good deeds. That is what worship is for. I'm going to ask Laura to come. And we're going to have a time of invitation today. Just a time of response. And I don't know what the, which part of this. This is a pretty varied message. 
some part of this maybe has the Lord has used to just say something to you, to, to give you an opportunity to respond. And I want to just provide some space. That Old Testament altar was a place where people came and they knelt and they drew near to God and they experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God. As I told you when we began this series, this is not an altar. This is steps in a stage. But by faith, it can be an altar for you. An altar is a place. And you're a flesh and blood person. That pew right there can be an altar for you to draw near to God. To seek the help that you need in this hour. That's what we do when we draw near to God. We say, God, help me. God, help me. I'm being racked with anxiety because of something in my conscience. And Lord, I need help. I need an assurance of your forgiveness. Come to him with that. Maybe it's a prayer request you have. Maybe it's something you're facing in the future. Come and receive grace and help. That's what we do in worship. We draw near to the Lord. And I believe it's meant to be an embodied and fleshed act. You could kneel right there at your pew. You could bow your head. You could lift up your hands as an act of faith as you seek the Lord. Whatever you need to do today, let this be a day where you really, seriously, by faith, come to the Lord and ask for the grace and help you need. As Laura plays, let's, let's just begin to go to the Lord. Singing is an act of faith. Praying aloud is an act of faith. Getting up out of that pew is an act of faith. Kneeling on the floor, an act of faith. It's an expression of faith. By faith this morning, we're seeing in our hearts and in our minds, we're seeing the opening to walk in to the very temple of the Lord. And Jesus has opened that door before us. He's the author and perfecter. He's the pioneer, the one who's blazed the path to the very throne of God. And, and we're following Jesus in that door. There is an altar. It's a place where we're invited to come and take hold of those horns to submit our very lives and our hearts and our minds and our bodies and all of our senses and our souls, all that we are, to kneel before the Lord of glory.
who is high and lifted up. He is majestic. He's good. And he's pure and he's holy. He's in radiant white. And the myriad of angels surround his throne. And they're singing holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one who is our maker. Who preceded all things. Who knew you by name. Who knitted you together in your mother's womb. Who loved you before the foundations of the earth. He with his son and the spirit planned in spite of your sin and mine to provide a way that we could be made, made right. And we know that and we see Jesus who is the lamb who was slain. The sacrifice has been made that we might live. And there is that altar we're invited to come to. And our hearts are messed up plagued by all kinds of shame and sin and regrets. We've been hurt when we've hurt others. We know that really we can't do anything about it, but He has invited us to have our hearts sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. And we come to that altar and we kneel. And we're honest. We come with a sincere heart and say, Lord, you know, but these are the things. Would you forgive me of this? Would you cleanse me? Make me different. Make me new. He says, I will. He sprinkles across our blackened hearts the blood of Christ that purifies and cleanses away every sin. And he washes over us. He gives us his spirit. Counselor, our helper, our assurance, our living water to flow out from us. He says, arise, worshiper. Come closer. Come closer. Give thanks, my son, my daughter. You belong to me. I am yours and you're mine. moved from the altar but now you fall again on your face full of thanksgiving and gratitude because you're not worthy, none of us are and around the throne we look to our right and our left and we see other broken human people who have been saved by grace and the music is playing and there's a joy, there's a celebration among the angels and among the redeemed people of God. We sing, great are you, Lord. How great is our God. Sing with me. And, and, and you're hesitant to sing because you don't sing well. But you're overtaken and you're overcome with the sense of the majesty and the goodness and the all-encompassing salvation. You see this by faith. And as you sing before the Lord, you know that you will spend an eternity enjoying the goodness and the glory of God Almighty. 
This is a moment that will actually, when it comes in its fullness, it will never end. This is the kingdom. The kingdom eternal. The kingdom without end. A place where all darkness and death and sickness has been banished. It's been shut outside the gates. Nothing can harm you here. There's only good. There's only joy and gladness in the very presence of God. Oh, worshiper, that is what belongs to you. See it this morning by faith. Be renewed in your heart and in your hope until your faith becomes sight. There's Jesus, the lamb that was slain. He's there at the right hand of the Father. And he's smiling at you. He loves you. And you feel the warmth and the radiance of his love. And it changes you. But he tells you, for a little while, you must go back. Because my kingdom has not yet expanded to all the corners of the world and to all the peoples. There are people still down there that need to know the love and grace that I have for them, that you have experienced in this moment of worship. So go. Be a messenger of the king, a messenger of the kingdom. Live for me for the days that you have left until I bring you back to this place. Go in the assurance of the promise of your salvation and your sonship. Go, worshiper. As Laura continues to play, I'm going to just ask you to stand, and we're going to have a benediction now from. 1 John 1 and Psalm 32. When I finish reading, if this is the blessing that you desire to receive, simply say amen. This is the message we have heard and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And let the people of God who receive this blessing of forgiveness today say amen. Amen. Go in peace.